Hello, my name is Joe Faulkner, and welcome to the Flexible Mind Therapy Podcast. I thought I'd take a break uh, today from discussing the internal and external, or the intrinsic and extrinsic factors that may impact on relationship, uh, sexuality, and gender identity development and expression in individuals with ASD. Often, we as professionals and caregivers talk a great deal about the risk of maladaptive or uh, problematic sexual behaviors in individuals with ASD, uh, particularly as they relate to inappropriate uh, public displays such as public masturbation. Uh, Many parents uh, express concerns that their child will be negatively judged based on their maladaptive sexual behaviors. Now, what is discussed to a significantly lesser degree is the risk risk of exploitation and or victimization that individuals with ASD may experience relationally or sexually. Over the next couple of podcasts, I'll discuss some of the contributing factors, signs of relational, uh, particularly sexual abuse, digital risks uh, of exploitation and or victimization, And then some of the ideas for education and training for all members of the team, including the individual with ASD, parents and family members, and individuals providing victim screening, counseling, and legal and law enforcement services. First, before we uh, get into some of the background information, I want to acknowledge a potential elephant in the room as we begin this discussion. When we talk about the exploitation and or victimization of individuals with any disability, but particularly with individuals with a developmental disability or disorder that may or may not uh, include a cognitive difference or disability, the first impulse can be to want to protect the individual from the exploitation and or victimization by protecting them from sexual information, decision making, relationships, and even society itself. The thought can be that by protecting these vulnerable individuals in these ways, that we will protect them from the exploitation. Unfortunately, as we've discussed in past podcasts, this type of protection, which Hainsberger uh, refers to as the prison of protection, actually increases the individual's risk of exploitation and victimization. In fact, as Hingsberger notes, just the discussion of these individuals as being vulnerable people places the blame for the victimization inside of them instead of where it truly lies with the perpetrator. So even as we discuss background information and risk factors, I'll encourage each of us to remember that the key to effectively protecting or keeping people from harm is by educating and training all involved especially the individual with ASD. I'd like us to to keep in mind, even I'd like us to keep this in mind, uh, even as we discuss some of the prevalence figures, other background information and risk factors. Although these may be concerning, they provide us the context for training and education. So let's first begin with looking at the prevalence of sexual abuse overall. The Center for Disease Control, or CDC, reports the following statistics for sexual assault. In a nationwide survey, 7.3% of high school students reported having been forced to have sex. More females, uh, 10.5%, than males, 4.2% of students reported experiencing forced sex in their lifetimes. 
An estimated 20 to 25 percent of college women in the United States were victims of attempted or completed rape during their college career, and 5.2 percent in the past year. Nearly one in five women and one in 59 men in the United States have been raped at some time in their lives. 6.7 percent of men reported that they that they were made to penetrate someone else during their lifetime against their will. Um, and again, that's the men being uh, made to pe- penetrate someone else, um, not uh, not against the will of the other person. Um, an estimated 12.5% of women and 5.8% of men have experienced sexual coercion in their lifetime, and 27.3% of women and 10.8% of men have experienced unwanted sexual contact. And the CDC reports that these numbers may underestimate the extent of the problem because of the fear and stigma that may result from the sexual assault. Additionally, the CDC reports that approximately 1 in 20 women and men, uh, so 5.6% of women and 5.3% of men respectively, uh, experience sexual violence other than rape, such as being made to penetrate someone else, sexual coercion, unwanted sexual content, uh, contact, or non-contact unwanted sexual experiences in the 12 months prior to the survey. In this same report, the CDC details the following facts about the perpetrators of sexual violence. Among female rape victims, perpetrators were reported to be intimate partners uh, 51.1% of the time, family members 12.5% of the time, acquaintances 40.8% of the time, and strangers only 13.8% of the time. Among male rape uh, victims, perpetrators were reported to be acquaintances 52.4% of the time, and strangers only 15.1% of the time. And among male victims who were made to penetrate someone else, perpetrators were reported to be intimate partners partners 44.8%, acquaintances 44.7%, and strangers only 8.2%. So as we can see from these numbers, sexual assault is far more common than we may be aware. And as opposed to our traditional training of stranger danger, the perpetrators of sexual assault tend to be more frequently partners, family members, and acquaintances of the assault victim. So it isn't that we shouldn't teach stranger awareness or stranger danger, but it is that we should teach healthy safety and protective skills for all of the relationships that we may have in our life. Now, these are, pre- these are prevalence figures for the population as a whole. Let's look more at individuals who have disabilities, and particularly individuals with ASD. We started with the prevalence in the overall population, and we'll now discuss exploitation and victimization in the population of individuals with disabilities first, because there's honestly less data that specifically addresses individuals with ASD who may have been uh, sexually victimized. In the report, Smith and Harrell discussed the following about prevalence rates. According to a meta-analysis of findings from studies of victimization of people with disabilities, children with disabilities are 2.9 times more likely than children without disabilities to be sexually abused. Children with intellectual and mental health disabilities appear to be at the most risk, with 
4.6 times the risk of sexual abuse as their peers without disabilities. In another report on the sexual abuse of individuals with disabilities, it was detailed that 41.6% of the respondents with any disability and 34% of the respondents with developmental disabilities uh, had been victimized or had been victims of sexual assault. These numbers speak to the increased prevalence of sexual victimization and exploitation of individuals with disabilities. What's equally distressing is that as in sexual assault of individuals with the general population, individuals with disabilities are more likely to know their perpetrators. These perpetrators may be partners, acquaintances, and family members, just like with the figures reported from the general population. But there is a unique category of perpetrators that individuals with disabilities have that is not experienced by the general population, and that is of service providers, uh, such as direct care staff, personal care attendants, doctors, and psychiatrists. This additional category of perpetrator may be particularly concerning as this is a group of individuals who are often trusted by the individual with the disability and their families. Because of this trusted role, these perpetrators can be especially difficult to report for their victimization of the individual with the disability because there's a fear of losing that trusting uh, or trusted relationship. Now that we've discussed the prevalence of sexual victimization in the overall population and in individuals with disabilities, let's look at the data that we do have about the prevalence of sexual victimization and exploitation in individuals with ASD. A study by Mandel et al. Uh, reported that in a sample of 156 children with ASD, caregivers reported that 12.2% had experienced sexual abuse without physical abuse, and an additional 4.4% reported uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse occurring together. Of this sample, 69.2% were male, 70.5% were of European-American descent, and the average age of the subjects was 11.6 years. Now, some of the limitations noted in this study that may be apparent uh, that may have affected these prevalence number, numbers include how the data was collected. Uh, it was collected as part of an overall service discussion and not specifically related to sexual abuse. Uh, how the study sample was selected within this, and the study, the study sample was derived from individuals with ASD who had been referred to comprehensive uh, community health services, uh, mental health services actually. Uh, so they may not be totally representative of the general population of individuals with ASD. And finally, uh, this uh, sample was based on caregiver reports which may have missed some incidences that the caregivers were unaware of or unwilling to disclose. Brown, Pena, and Rankin reported that in their sample of individuals with ASD who were attending college, individuals with ASD were twice as likely to report unwanted sexual contact, uh, contact than their non-disabled peers. Female students with ASD were at a particular risk of experiencing unwanted sexual contact. Additional factors that the authors report about the experiences of individuals with ASD at colleges and universities uh, include that they face an unwelcoming uh, campus uh, environment, uh, they experience prejudice, they may feel uncomfortable in their classroom, 
they may have functional limitations in areas of communication, social, emotional interactions that make it difficult for these students with ASD to navigate relationships. And they experience challenges in discerning when others are being deceptive or having malicious intent. All of these different experiences place students with ASD at increased risk for predatory behavior. The fact that this was a direct report from the individuals in, in the study uh, versus Mandel et al.'s caregiver report does have the advantage of having the uh, affected individuals making the report rather than it coming secondhand from caregivers. Unfortunately, the stigma and fear related to reporting sexual exploitation and victimization may still have skewed the numbers downwards from the actual prevalence. Whether or not the prevalence of sexual exploitation or victimization is actually higher in individuals with ASD, there are a number of risk factors that should spur us to increase training and education for all parties involved. As we consider the different risk factors, I'll again caution uh, uh, us that we need to take care that we don't blame the victim for victimization by perpetrators. Possible risk factors that are the result of an individual's ASD should be targets of focus for development, training, education, uh, and or intervention. Possible risk factors that are societally based, that are the result of bias and or ableism, and or the, are the direct result of some of the training that has been provided to individuals with ASD over the years, should be the targets of systemic changes and education of caregivers and other professionals. We'll consider each of these as we look at potential risk factors. In our first few podcasts, particularly those where we discuss social factors and uh, neuropsychological fra frameworks, we discuss some of the internal factors that can increase risk. Some of these factors include the following. Uh, communication difficulties that hinder reporting abuse. Uh, difficulty in detecting and recognizing a potential danger as a result of lack of social awareness and training. Difficulty discriminating appropriate versus inappropriate or even criminal behavior. The need for affection and attention while at the same time experiencing fewer friendships and intimate relationships. <clears throat> Deficits in interpersonal communication. And lack of capacity to consent to sexual activity. Now, some of the factors that may be more societally based include... Um, that individuals uh, with ASD, they may experience uh, very few positive role models with disabilities who are leading fulfilled adult sexual lives. Um, they may experience, uh, or they may have an experience of a powerless position in society. Uh, again, they may experience uh, social isolation, including a lack of transportation. And individuals with ASD often spend time away from their peers, uh, particularly during uh, earlier stages of development. And as the Child Welfare Information Gateway reports, when children with disabilities are separated from their peers, it makes them seem different and unworthy of the same social or educational opportunities uh, to others. Now, they, uh, individuals with ASD might, might also experience uh, economic, physical, and or psycho, uh, psychological dependency, including a long-term dependence on services and personal care from others. Uh, they may experience, uh, they may have an experience of ignorance of the right to refuse to perform certain actions. They may not feel able to tell anyone about the abuse. 
The individual with ASD may fear not being believed, leading to non-report of the abuse. The individual with ASD may have difficulty identifying a person to report the abuse to. Uh, young adults uh, aged 18 or older who are at risk of sexual exploitation may fall through the gap between children's and adult services. Uh, and some individuals may not uh, have even known that they may qualify for uh, services. They may risk, uh, they, are, they may experience a lack of resources and or a lack of knowledge of existing resources. They may fear that there's a low risk of prosecution of the perpetrator. And there's a lack of awareness and training for caregivers, service providers, police, prosecutors, judges, and other related personnel in terms of the sexual uh, exploitation and victimization of individuals with ASD, as well as the particular needs of individuals with ASD who have been exploited or victimized. This lack of training influences these professionals' ability to identify, report, investigate, prosecute, and provide victim services to individuals with ASD who have experienced sexual exploitation or victimization. Now, some of the factors that may be uh, related to bias and or ableism of, of others, which in many ways is a notable form of societally based ad, uh, attitudes, uh, include the following. Uh, there's a negative attitude by many people in the public uh, toward individuals with disabilities in general and specifically individuals with ASD. And because of these negative public attitudes, individuals with ASD may experience shame or feel less worthy of being treated respectfully. Uh, they may have a history of being protected by others and that inhibits uh, access to resources uh, that they could use for their own protection. So individuals with ASD may not be viewed as sexual beings, making it harder for people uh, and caregivers and professionals to accept that they can be exploited. Uh, there's a perceived lack of credibility of people with disabilities when they disclose sexual vi uh, violence. And criminal, the criminal justice system professionals sometimes hesitate to pursue cases in which a victim's credibility can be challenged. Offenders often target uh, people uh, whom they perceive as lacking credibility, as mentioned earlier, uh, including uh, those with certain developmental disabilities and mental illnesses. Individuals with ASD may experience a lack of decision-making power and control over their lives. And finally, individuals with ASD may experience a lack of knowledge and education about sexuality and relationships. And all of those may be related to caregivers and professionals in the individual's life who may view them as being more childlike, more asexual, uh, less interested in these uh, topics and less needing of these things. And really, they, they need this training. Um, now, some of the factors that may be related to prior training that individuals with ASD uh, may have experienced include um, an ingrained reliance on, a, on the caregiver as an authority figure, uh, a general dependency or submission and obedience to rules, which could be a learned behavior uh, to not question caregivers or others in, in authority or learned compliance. Uh, there may be emotional and social insecurities, including low self-esteem, contributing to powerlessness, which may be the result of the dependency or submission to others. 
Uh, they may have been inhibited from being self-directed in the past, which may also be the result of the dependency or submission to others. Um, and they may experience less privacy and less time unsupervised, which may lead the individual with ASD to have skewed boundaries. Now, many of these risk factors intersect and both contribute to and exacerbate the impact of one another. Minimally, these create the situation where the risk for the individuals with ASD for sexual exploitation and victimization is heightened. But at the more extreme end, these create the perfect victim for perpetrators, as the individual with ASD may lack protective uh, skills such as decision-making, communication, and sexual education. Uh, they may have been taught to obey others and to feel guilt or shame about their ASD and the resulting behaviors, so that they may feel powerless and unable to say no. And even when the individual does report uh, cases of victimization, they may deal with a system that is unprepared and possibly even unwilling to work with them. Now, Edelson uh, highlights some of these uh, risks, or how some of these risks play out in the selection process that some perpetrators use when determining victims. She reports the following four broad categories that perpetrators use when targeting their victims. Um, A, easy prey. Uh, so, for example, vulnerable, vulnerable victims, such as being young and female. Uh, B, victim attributes, uh, such as sexual desirability. C, situational characteristics, such as opportunity. And D, circumstance or manipulation, uh, which, for example, the use of uh, victim uh, manipulation such as violence or intimidation prior to the sexual assault. And because children with autism may be seen as easy prey, may be easily accessible to the offenders, and may be easily manipulated or intimidated because of uh, social challenges related to the autism, they may be seen as particularly desirable targets of sexual abuse by offenders. More, moreover, Edelson goes on to state, uh, sexual offenders who target children often have cognitive distortions that allow them to justify their offending and not identify the offending as wrong or harmful to the child. The offender's cognitive distortions serve to justify their offending by minimizing or rationalizing the, offender, the offending behavior. In the adult sexual assault literature, it's been shown that one cognitive strategy employed by sexual offenders to allow them to offend is the objectification of their victims, viewing them as objects rather than people. Some children with autism may exhibit certain repetitive or stereotype behaviors that seem unusual to others. Therefore, a sexual offender may find it much easier to objectify a child who engages in these behaviors than to objectify a typical child. We can see here that perpetrators use the intrinsic factors, such as the individual with ASD's difficulty in communication and difficulty detecting potential danger, to help them select their victims. They also use the uh, individual with ASD's prior training such as being trained to be compliant or dependent upon others in the selection process. They also use societal attitudes, such as the negative views that some people have towards individuals with disabilities, and especially individuals with ASD, to help them justify dehumanizing and objectifying the individual. The response to this at all levels is to increase the education and training of individuals with ASD 
their caregivers and all other professionals involved. In fact, it really must be that we increase the training and education of all involved. We must work with individuals with ASD to gain the skills to be healthy, happy, and mature sexual beings. We must work societally to develop the attitudes and approaches that support this healthy development and that also address those underlying biases and stereotypes that impact on healthy development. We must look to provide individuals with ASD, caregivers, service providers, police, prosecutors, judges, and other related personnel the training and skills necessary to identify when, when sexual exploitation or victimization has occurred, how to report it, the needs of individuals with ASD in the law enforcement phase, including during the investigation and prosecution, and the needs of individuals with ASD in each aspect of victim services, including crisis support, counseling, and trauma-related care. In the next podcast, I'll cover information about identifying signs that an individual with ASD may have experienced sexual exploitation or victimization, as well as digital risks and signs of exploita uh, exploitation or victimization. It is, that, it is my hope that with this information, we'll start to be able to identify when exploitation or victimization has occurred. A transcript of this podcast, along with citations and a related uh, bibliography, can be found on the FlexibleMindTherapy.com uh, website. Thank you for joining me today.